Tonight we're super excited. As I said, it's got a, a Burwood Chapel flavour. Tonight um, the guest preacher is a gentleman by the name of Chris Lindsay. Now I met Chris Lindsay, I think, in high school, maybe just out of high school. Um, we're the same age. Now I'll say this now, and we're not going to be on the shot together, so we're not gonna, I'm not going to let you compare, but he looks about three years younger than me. But we're the same age. Um, Chris... Um, amongst the many things that he's done in his life. He's now a high school teacher at Auburn Girls. He's, he was a pastor at Full Life Ministry over in Greenacre. He's conquered half the world. He's one of the most humble and gentle men that I've met. Um, Chris is uh, part of our Build Core team, um, and he's going to be coming to share God's word with us. So from wherever you're at, please welcome Chris. Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's really exciting to be here. Uh, it's an honour and a privilege uh, to share God's word with you tonight. And it's a joy to, to be amongst family, to be a part of the family at the chapel. How about we pray before we begin? Father God, we just ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Would you open the eyes of our hearts, Lord? Holy Spirit, speak to us that we would encounter the heart of the Father. Jesus, be glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles with you or if you're looking on at the screen, the Bible passage today is from Luke chapter 15. And it's from verses 1 to 7. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What crazy times we live in at the moment. As Pastor Steve mentioned, I work as a high school teacher in a school in Auburn, Auburn Girls High School, where the majority of my students are Muslim. And this weekend is actually a very significant month in the Islamic world, and it's uh, Eid, which marks the end of Ramadan. So Eid Mubarak to any Muslim brothers and sisters that might be watching. I love working at Auburn Girls High School. Anyone who knows me knows how much I love my students and how much they mean to me. I absolutely love being part of the community in Auburn. But anyone who knows me will also tell you, I'm a nice guy. And I have to admit that in preparing this message for tonight, I was really challenged. It made me ask myself some tough questions about how I share my faith with unbelievers. And that's our topic tonight, 
as we continue on in this series, people matter, unbelievers. You know, my students and colleagues, they all know that I'm a Christian. And to be honest, the majority of my closest friends are also unbelievers. You know, I run a Christian Bible study group at lunchtime. But this message really made me think, what more can I be doing to actually share the gospel with those around me? What more can I be doing to share the good news of Jesus? As I said before, I'm a nice guy. Well, I consider myself a nice guy. I try and get along with anyone. I don't like to step on people's toes, and I don't like to cause conflict. You know, I see how tough it is for my students growing up as teenagers and Muslims in Australia in 2020. You know, many of my students, they wear the hijab, the headscarf, and that means that the first thing people identify about them is their religion. And I get to hear the stories of verbal abuse that they cop or the stares when they're just walking down the street. I hear stories of how they're often too afraid to leave their home. And to be honest, it breaks my heart to hear those stories. And there's actually a lot of similarities between Islam and Christianity. Along with Judaism, they are often referred to as the big three in the sense that they only worship one God. Whereas other religions have multiple gods, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all believe in only one God. I learn a lot from my Muslim friends and students. They are fervent in their faith. They have a deep desire and love for God. But where we differ is when it comes to Jesus. You see, Muslims believe that Jesus is simply a prophet a prophet who pointed the way to who they believe is the last and final prophet, Prophet Muhammad. They believe that he is the one who received a revelation from God. And they believe that he wrote that revelation down in the Islamic holy scriptures known as the Quran. And if you spoke to most people in the world today, and if you asked them who do they believe Jesus is, I think most people would probably give you a similar answer. Most people would say, he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. Or he did some good things. Yet for us as Christians, Jesus is so much more than that. And one of the struggles I had in preparing this message for tonight, and one thing that constantly challenges me, is how can I be respectful to the beliefs of people of other faiths, while also taking a stand for what I believe is the truth. You know, we live in a society where it's really not cool to tell people what you believe. People don't want you to rub them the wrong way. But I realize that if the truth is what I am after, then I shouldn't hold back in my pursuit. And if I truly believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is the truth, then I have an obligation out of my love for others to share this good news, to share this truth with them. Just as if any of my Muslim friends truly believe that Islam is the truth, then they shouldn't be half-hearted in their pursuit and in proclaiming what they believe. 
You know, I believe that in our society today, in order not to offend anyone and to appear tolerant, we water down our beliefs. And so we end up with this vanilla nothingness. But that's not really what tolerance is, is it? Tolerance is actually respecting the fact that we disagree on things. It's respecting the very fact that we have different views and beliefs. And then saying, you know what, that is actually okay. That is what tolerance is. And as a Christian, I can't agree with the position that Jesus is simply a prophet or a good bloke. Although I work in special education now, I was and trained as a history teacher. And one of the things I always say to unbelievers, say to those who don't believe in the Christian faith, is that if you can prove to me historically that Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, then I will not be a Christian. You see, Christianity stands or falls with Jesus. If you spoke to an Islamic scholar or cleric and you said to them, hypothetically speaking, could God have chosen to give his revelation to someone else other than the prophet Muhammad? They would say, well, yes, hypothetically, God could have given his revelation to anyone. Because in Islam, it is not the prophet Muhammad who is the revelation, but rather it is the revelation he receives. And if you ask the Buddhist, could Buddhism exist without the Buddha? They will tell you the same thing. It is not about the Buddha, but rather about his teachings and his philosophy of life. They do not depend on one person. But Christianity differs. Christianity is totally reliant on the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't claim to have a revelation from God. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the revelation in flesh. God revealed to us. If you take away Jesus, then you destroy Christianity. And I would add that if you can disprove the resurrection, then you destroy Christianity itself. I mean, even the Bible says that if there is no resurrection, then Christianity is a joke. That we are still in our sins and we're a laughing stock. You know what? If that's the case, you may as well you know, turn off the camera and we may as well pack up and go home. Don't bother coming back. It's a waste of time. You know, and I say this to my friends who are unbelievers. I say, I challenge you to prove to me that Jesus did not resurrect from the dead. And if you can do that, then I won't be a Christian. I believe that there are actually only three conclusions that we can come to about who Jesus is. That when we read the historical accounts of Jesus' life, there are only three options. That is, he is either a lunatic who made some outrageous claims claiming to be God, and he belongs in a mental asylum. Or two, that he is a liar and his claims are totally false and made up. Or number three, that he is Lord, that he is God, 
that he is who he claimed to be. And if he is Lord, then surely he is Lord of all. He is either Lord of nothing or Lord of everything. And the conclusion that I have come to is that he is Lord and that he is the only one worthy of being Lord of all. But this is something I have to admit, that there have been times in my life where I've questioned this and doubted this. And, you know, I know often as Christians, we think we're not allowed to say that we have doubts or we worry, what will people think if we share our doubts? But I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times in my life where I've questioned and doubted the existence of God. I've questioned and doubted whether God even matters. There are times I've tried to live my life without God. But the one thing that keeps pulling me back is Jesus. And I challenge you to read the Gospels for yourself. Read about the life of Jesus. Discover who he is and come to your own conclusion. You know, the Gospels are a love letter written to us. They reveal to us the great love of God. And I know that if it wasn't for the love of God, I wouldn't be here today. I would have been dead long ago. And the Bible passage that we read earlier is a perfect picture of God's heart. A perfect picture of God's love and how he feels about unbelievers. It's a story about a lost sheep. And it's actually the first of three stories that we find in Luke chapter 15. The other two being the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. But we're just going to focus in on the first story, the parable of the lost sheep. And although it's a story about a lost sheep, it's also a story about a good shepherd. And it's actually my story. And in some ways, it's also yours. What I love first about this chapter in the book of Luke is that in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and the sinners, the ones that were considered lost in society, were the ones that were gathering around, eagerly anticipating every word that came from Jesus' mouth. While the Pharisees and teachers, the so-called religious and self-righteous people, the ones who believed they had it all together, were mocking Jesus because he welcomed those that were considered unclean. He welcomed those that were far off from God. And that's one of the things I most love about Jesus. It's the fact that he welcomed everyone and anyone. And it was those that were most down and out that were most attracted to him. And he just welcomes them with open arms. You see it again and again throughout the Gospels. And then he goes on to tell this story. And it says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, 
he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind when I read this story is just how ridiculous it is. Why on earth would you leave your 99 sheep to go and find the one? It doesn't make sense. Surely you cut your losses. You say, okay, I lost one, but at least I have the 99. It says those 99 sheep are in open country, which means they're totally vulnerable. There's nothing protecting them, not even some shrubs or trees or anything. They are totally out in the open. Who would do that? Who would leave the 99 just to go and find that one lost sheep? Surely you cut your losses and you just take the 99 home. But the picture Jesus depicts here would have been very familiar to those in Palestine at the time, where shepherds who sat towards the bottom of society's social structure would be hired to look after the sheep that belonged to various people in the local village. The shepherds were uneducated and unskilled but worked long days protecting their sheep. And it was considered their duty and obligation to go and find any sheep that were lost. Next, Jesus says that when the sheep is found, there is no rebuking. There is no telling off, no punishment for this sheep that was lost. In fact, the sheep gets a, a, a piggyback home. The shepherd puts the sheep on his back and carries him home. And then what's even more ridiculous is that there's a party. The shepherd calls his friends and neighbors and tells them to rejoice with him because he has found his sheep that was lost. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this before, but you know that deep sinking feeling where your heart just drops when you realize you've lost your wallet. You turn the house upside down looking for it. You start thinking to yourself, do I call the banks now and cancel my cards or do I just keep looking? You can't find it anywhere and then you decide to return to your car and there it is, under your seat, your wallet. All of a sudden, the relief the joy in knowing that you don't have to spend hours waiting to get through to the bank. You don't have to worry about your license. Your wallet is found. What was lost is now found. You can rejoice. And you know, lately, most of us have lost many things in a way that we've never experienced before. Just last Thursday... I got to sit down in a cafe and have a coffee out of a mug for the first time in ages. I've got to say, it felt really good. And maybe you can't wait to go to the pub with your friends or hit the gym. And at the moment, you're feeling that loss. You know, a student at school even said to me the other day, I actually missed catching the bus to school. I mean, who would have thought 
But it's these simple little things that we take for granted that when they're gone, we miss them. And I'm sure that there's going to be all sorts of rejoicing tomorrow throughout Sydney when parents drop their kids off back at school for the first time in a long time and some sort of normality is returned to homes throughout Sydney. And I can hear people celebrating already. You know, we've all experienced the feeling of loss and gain, of losing and finding. You know, but these things don't even compare. About two and a half years ago, my younger sister passed away. You know, I've never experienced such incredible loss like that before. And I hope I never have to again. But I rejoice now knowing that one day I will see her again. You know, she was a follower of Jesus. So I rejoice knowing that one day we will be reunited in heaven. And don't get me wrong. You know, these questions of life after death are things that I've struggled with over the years. But I truly believe that we will be reunited in heaven once again. And Jesus ends this story telling the people that it is the same way that the shepherd rejoices over finding his lost sheep, that there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, more than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And this picture in Luke chapter 15 is not just a picture of a lost sheep, but a picture of a loving God. It's a picture of the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Around 10 years ago, I was living in South Korea. I was working as an English teacher at a high school there. I loved my job and being the only foreigner in the school, I was treated like a celebrity and really well looked after. From the outside, everything looked good. But on the inside, I was lost. I had drifted away from God. I was looking for a sense of purpose and meaning in life. I was going out partying and drinking and basically just living a life of sin. It got to a point where it was so bad and I felt so guilty about the life that I was living that I actually thought to myself, maybe if I just turn my back on God altogether, at least I'll get rid of that shame and guilt that I feel. And out of nowhere, one day, a friend of mine asked me to go to this small new church that he had started going to. I don't know why I decided to go, but I think I was just desperate and that I knew I needed help. So I decided to go one Sunday. Everyone was warm and welcoming. The pastor really encouraged me to keep coming, but I didn't know whether I'd return again. That next week at school, things went on as usual. And one afternoon, I was leaving work, and some of the other teachers saw me leaving. They yelled out to me and said, Chris, where are you going? And I just told them that I was heading home. So they said, let's go. We're going to go have dinner and drinks. So I went out with them. And as most Koreans would know, ilcha, icha, samcha, the, the night never ends. I ended up deep in sin that night. I eventually made it home, and that next night, I got an unusual phone call. 
the pastor of the church that I'd been to on Sunday called me. And he started telling me how the previous night he had had this dream. And in this dream, he was rebuking me for my sin. And he started going into details that were spot on. And while we're on the phone, I'm freaking out thinking, wow, was he out as well and he saw me or something? Like, how does he know these things? And he kept going on and on. And then at the end of it, he said to me, does that make sense to you? And I was just speechless. You know, I've only known this guy for a week, so I wasn't going to pour out my heart and say, yeah, man, that was spot on. So I just kind of said, oh, no, not really, but thank you. And then he invited me to come to the church prayer meeting, which was on the next day. And I clearly remember I had absolutely no intention of going to a prayer meeting. That was the last place I wanted to be. But this guy, he had been a gangster in L.A., you know, and he'd met Jesus in jail and now he was his pastor. And so he was pretty forceful on the phone. So I sort of felt like, well, you know what? I just have to say yes. So I agreed to go to the prayer meeting. You know, I had a plan. I thought, I'll just sit there in the corner of the room while they pray. And then afterwards, we're all going out for dinner because it was one of the girls from church. It was her birthday. So I'll just suck it up, get through prayer meeting, and then we'll go out and have a feed. So... It was, it was done. So I rock up to the church for the prayer meeting. And I'm just sitting in the corner. Everyone else is praying. And then all of a sudden, the pastor says, Chris, come over here. We're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. And I'm just thinking, what is wrong with this guy? I've had enough of this. Why is he praying for me now? And so I come over to the center. Everyone starts laying hands on me and praying for me. And I've never felt in my life my heart so stone cold, just so cold hearted. And like, it was just, they are praying for me and nothing is happening at all. And the pastor could obviously sense this. So he says to me, Chris, start crying out to God. Just start opening your mouth and praying. So I just start praying softly and, you know, talking. And the next thing I knew, I was just bawling my eyes out. And then all of a sudden, there was just this bang. And I just felt something hit me. And I felt 100 kilos lighter. I just felt free. You know, I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. It was just unbelievable. And I remember one of the girls at the time, she was sharing a verse from John chapter 7 where it says, streams of living water will flow from within you. And the prayer meeting finished and everyone, you know, we all went out for dinner. But I still felt like I couldn't tell anyone what had happened because it was one of the girls' birthdays and I didn't want to spoil the night. So we went out, had dinner, and then as soon as I got home, I emailed the pastor. I told him everything that had happened. I told him how far away and lost I was, that I, you know, considered turning my back on God altogether and that. The dream that he had was spot on, everything he said. And then how when they prayed for me at the prayer meeting, that I just felt free. Something hit me and I was just set free. And so the next morning I rock up at church, a brand new person, totally different. 
I'm sitting at the back of the church during service, and then all of a sudden, the pastor says, Chris, come out the front, share your testimony with everyone. I'm just thinking, man, seriously, this guy. So I come out the front, and I share my testimony with everyone. And then once I'm done, the pastor starts sharing how things happen from his side. He starts sharing how he had the dream. And that then at the prayer meeting, how God told him to lay hands and pray for me. And then he started sharing how he had this other dream. And in this dream, he saw what he thought was a warrior angel. But then he realized that it was me. And in this time, God was restoring my identity. God was telling me that I'm his son, that I'm a warrior, and that I'm his beloved. Yeah, it was an unbelievable time for me. And this is the love of God. This is the heart of God for the lost, for the unbeliever. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian and you've grown up in church your whole life or whether you're a Muslim or whether you're an atheist. God is pursuing after you. Just as a bridegroom pursues after his bride, God pursues after you. And that's exactly what I experienced. You know, the good news is that God's ridiculous love, in God's ridiculous love, he would send his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you and I. He sends Jesus as the good shepherd to bring that lost sheep home. You know, just as I came home that day, your heavenly father waits for you to return and he rejoices over you. His joy is not in the 99, but his joy is in you coming home to him. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You know, God is so good. And, you know, I believe that God's heart is for unbelievers. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. God's heart is for you. And as a church, we need to reach out to anyone and everyone. We need to share our story of what God has done in our lives. We need to invite people to church. We need to take opportunities to share the good news. As I said earlier, we live in a world where it's not cool to express what we believe. But heaven and hell is at stake. Eternity is at stake. We need that fervency. We need to proclaim the truth. And I want to challenge us today. Do we truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Because if he is, then we need to be doing something about it. May God speak to us all. Amen.